friends. Hello. Oh, I meant our other friends. You meant our hello listener you. friends? I, I All right, it. say hi to him again. Hello, friends. I wasn't talking about your boobs for once. I was actually, Aww. I was talking about our boobs, our favorite <gasps> boobs. Um, Is that what we're calling people that listen to the podcast? <laughs> I, I don't, oh, no, we're not. But we are going to call out, thank you for giving me that brain blast. Um, because kicking things off, this is crime culture. Hey. That's Haley. That boob is Caitlin. I am I am the boob called Caitlin. Um, but no, um, we got some helpful messages. That <laughs> is that then boob inspired this? No, no. Um thinking about our friends and being oh, like okay. we, have got two, it, got it. we have friends who are not boobs because they are very smart. They're very or, well, you can also be boobs. Boobs aren't a bad thing. You can be a smart boob. Yeah. Um but so two of our listeners, one is at Lil Honey Hope on Instagram. Um, I didn't want to I didn't want to make them feel weird and be like, oh, by the way, what's your real name? Um, so Lil Honey Hope. It's and a God given Christian name. It's it's we were just talking about like weird baby names because at the time that you're listening to this, it's been a few days. But Elon Musk and Grimes apparently just had another crotch fruit. Um, but it's not the baby's fault it's not the baby's fault that their parents are fucking that their parents weird. are naming them x and y um but no um, going off on that tangent um, so we so we got an, a message from anna and then a message from lil honey hope who yep. both have cool names normal names fun names um which because we were just discussing names they both were quick to point out and when i tell you that my shit got rocked when i learned this um, this is a correction section, by the way. Correction that- section. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Do that every time. Hopefully we yeah. don't have to have a lot of them, but yes, please. Never. Um, but Tessa Farmiga and Vera Farmiga are not mother and daughter, but in fact, sisters. And when I tell you that, like, if you know that that clip of the dog in front of the cupcakes with the thousand yard stare, that was me. And I didn't, it's not that I didn't believe them, but I had to look it up because I was just like, I need to see this yeah, for my own eyes. Yeah, it's quite a significant age difference. It's like 20 years. Yeah. Like she is crazy. old enough to be her sister's mother. And there's more of them. There's like six Farmiga sisters. Damn. Five or six. I don't, I don't quite remember. Because um, they all came up. up on, yeah, too, I was so. going to say, I, I'm not up in my Farmiga family lore. Well, uh, neither am I, apparently, but I am just, I'm still recovering, and it's been days, and I probably will never fully recover, but yeah, apparently they're sisters. Yeah, this is in reference to last week's episode, uh, where we were talking about Final Girls, and Thaisa Farmiga was in one of the Final Girl movies we talked about, so that's what that is referencing. And they are sisters, and I am... Good for them. Good for them. Good for both of them. Like, I mean... Yeah, you can never have too many sisters, I guess. But sure, I yeah. got one. I mean, yeah, I have, I had to think about it. I was like, I have one. <laughs> yeah, you do. I was like, I'm sorry, Megan. Um, <laughs> I, I, you're one. I'm one. But yeah, just very strange to me though that like they just happen to like it's not like they came from like a super famous family or anything. Yeah. Um, they're actually, I believe, um, their their parents are immigrants from ukraine and once oh, again okay if like not to segue but to segue like if you can help that would be cool if you can't help that's okay too we understand that not everybody is able to 
I also um, found uh, another way to support because I was uh, I was doing some shopping on Etsy. Oh, I was about to bring this up because a friend of mine just did this. Well, I mean, if you order from a shop in the Ukraine uh, from Etsy and they need to like physically mail something to you, that's probably not mm-hmm. super helpful at this current moment. But I was looking for uh, sewing patterns and they're digital, so I believe they're they're kept. I don't know how exactly it works on Etsy because I never sold on it. But um, I believe like the digital stuff is somehow like kept in their database. And once you order it, it sends it uh, automatically. Like the seller does not need to be at the ready to to um, to send it out, I believe is how it works. So uh, if you find something uh, digital that you can buy off of um, off of Etsy from the Ukraine, there's plenty of, like I said, patterns, there's uh uh, different artworks and everything like that that you can print yourself and everything. So that's just another way to help. Yeah. And and uh, in that same vein, um, there's also, it's this is like very sweet but very sad. There are children who are selling their artwork on Etsy mm-hmm. who are in Ukraine. And so you can also like buy a nine-year-old's art and they'll send you a little digital print. That's and awesome. And that's another love, way to help. Yeah. I love having like, so many different kinds of artworks framed, especially ones with a story. Right. Well, and and ones that especially like it's it's helping kids. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Like I just, it's very, it's you know, it's a big, it's a big fucking deal. Um. But yeah, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, things have gotten a bit better because we are recording a bit earlier than we normally do. Um. But yeah. Um. That's that's it though for our our housekeeping. Yes. And if. You don't mind, Haley? We'll get right into it. Yes. I don't know why I'm asking your permission, but here we are. I'm here. I'm um, here. I'm, I am the one audience member as we record this. That's so. that's pretty. That's not fair to the cats. Oh, that's true. Well, mine's that's, asleep. <laughs> mine's asleep, uh, so he's not really paying attention. But uh, we are continuing our um, Women's History Month yes. uh, talk by talking about a very prominent figure in women's history. Huge. Yeah. Um, and so that would be if you didn't read the title, Lizzie Borden. Everyone who, say the rhyme. I was about to say who <laughs> took, took an, an axe, axe, gave her mother, gave her mother forty, 40 wax, wax when, when she, she saw that what she had done. done she gave, gave her, father her father forty one. Yes. Um. That was that could have gone better. Um. <laughs> what are we in the second grade again? Uh, I don't remember when or where I learned that, but I just knew that it was. It's something that everybody in this case is, what is it? At least over, it's over a hundred years old. It's like in the 1800s, right? Yeah, it was in the late 1800s. Um, but, but that that rhyme, that like little, I, I I hesitate to call it a nursery rhyme, but like that little thing. Yeah, I, I've, I've you, heard the term folk rhyme when, okay, yes. like in my research, yeah. that's That sounds better. So if you heard that on like the playground or whatever, and you were interested in it, now you're interested in true crime. <laughs> yeah. Like, that it's was true. like that was the spark in so many like budding true crime yes. fans like heads. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That and I'd I'd even venture to say Bloody Mary was another one. <laughs> yeah. Bring yeah. around the Rosie. Uh, we we could do a whole I episode it, but like, on, like folk crimes and stuff. I didn't I didn't know what Ring Around the Rosie meant until much later. Um but yeah, so so but getting right into this. So Lizzie Andrew Borden was born the youngest of technically two children. Uh, she was actually born two years after the death of her older sister, Alice, 
mm-hmm. on July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts, which is a textile mill town, or it was at the time, um, that's about 50 miles or a little bit over 80 kilometers south of Boston, Massachusetts, to Sarah Anthony Borden, and here's my favorite word, nay, 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 but either way, former last name Morse, and Andrew Jackson Borden, Lizzie and her big sister Emma were raised Protestant. They had a relatively religious upbringing, and their family was active in the Central Cong- Congregational Church. Don't know why I couldn't say it, but that's the name. <laughs> so Andrew was a Protestant of English and Welsh descent and started out as a furniture and casket manufacturer before he became a successful property developer and served as the director of several textile mills and president of the Union Savings Bank and director of the Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Company. Mm. So TLDR, homeboy was rich. I was going to say, important dude. Important dude. Very wealthy. Um, on March 28th, 1863, so Lizzie was about three years old, um, Lizzie's mother, Sarah, died of uterine congestion, which is like pelvic congestion syndrome, where the veins in your pelvis no longer drain properly and it causes blood to pool. Oh! And, like, it, it like just builds pressure. Um, oh my God, that sounds like the worst most painful thing you can deal with. Yeah, so she died of that and a spinal disease. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't want to like, be yeah, in the olden times. Yeah. Um, but she was only 39 years old. <gasps> yes. Oh my um, God. So on her deathbed, Sarah made Emma, who was about nine years older than her sister at the time, or not at the time, she was nine years older than her sister. Duh. Um, but she was about nine years older than her sister. She made her promise that she would look after, quote, baby Lizzie end quote and historians have pretty much kind of pieced together that emma essentially devoted her life to her younger sister like she never got married she didn't really do much she just but she was fiercely protective of her sister yeah so the family then moved to the home that everyone now associates with them after sarah's death yep despite like i said andrew is fucking rich um he was cheap as hell and so the family lived well below that's their how means. Rich, that's how rich people stay rich. I mean, that's how some rich people stay rich. I saw a really interesting tweet today because, again, this this is now days late, but Kim Kardashian had said that thing about giving women advice on Women's History Month, no less. Yeah. Um, uh, International Women's Day, I believe it was. I, oh, was it really? That's even worse. Yeah. Because um, she was like, get up off your asses and fucking work. No one wants to work anymore. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't hate her. I don't love her. I don't She's really have much of an opinion. She's just extremely out of touch. That was such an out of touch comment, but I'm also really loving the people who worked on Keeping Up with the Kardashians who were like, oh, well, I worked for her unpaid as an intern, so I hope she doesn't yeah. need me. Or like, there was another, there, there, either way. Um, my point is, this is not, somebody said, like, oh, the way that people get rich, stay rich is by behaving like that, by taking advantage of the little guy. Yeah. This guy stayed rich by not spending the fucking money, even when it was like necessary. And we'll get into that. Okay. So their house was a pretty modest size, um, especially considering their like level of income. Again, he's got so many fucking properties and like he serves on all these as like president and director of like all of these things. Yeah. Um they it was on a busy, pretty unfashionable street. Um it was actually packed to the brim with <gasps> Catholics. Oh. Um and 
that's not where the affluent people lived. They lived in a neighborhood called The Hill um, in Fall River. And that's where, like, all the other wealthy citizens, like Andrew's cousins, lived. Um, so he came from a wealthy family. It wasn't, like, just him. Yeah. Um, but that's where all of the rich people lived. And so he was like, nah, like, we're going to, like, I, nobody ever seemed to tell Andrew that you can't take it with you. And that's not, like, a fucked up joke that I'm making. I'm literally, like, this this guy was super like a penny pincher yeah um for example despite the fact that this was around the time that rich people like the bordens could afford indoor plumbing andrew did not want to spare the extra expense and all of this really frustrated lizzie who wanted to live on the hill she wanted to live like her relatives and all the other rich people um the church that they went to again was for rich people um so like that's that's like it was a predominantly like rich person like liturgical community religious community Mm -hmm. um so she she very much felt the like otherness and it didn't help as we'll get into that like they were surrounded by quote-unquote undesirables Mm -hmm. so three years after sarah died andrew remarried um he married a woman named abby durfee gray who helped raise lizzie and emma who were about six and 15 at the time that they got married said so outright uh lizzie and emma were not fans of abby's because they essentially thought she was a gold digger mm-hmm. um apparently the girls would rarely eat meals with andrew and abby unless they kind of like had to or if it was like a special occasion mm-hmm. and lizzie only referred to her stepmother as quote mrs borden oh yeah yeah i feel like the stepmother uh, after your mother passes away so tragically like coming in as a stepmom can be a very like tricky tight rope walk we've all seen stepmom with julia roberts and susan sarandon we know we know the pressures but that's not it that's not just it i should say yeah in addition to the fact that like yes you're coming into this family as an outsider um andrew again is a cheapskate Mm. he would allegedly gift parcels of land and buildings to members of abby's family over the years but again, meanwhile, wouldn't even splurge for indoor plumbing for his immediate family. Um, uh-huh. And after Andrew gifted a whole ass house to Abby's sister, Lizzie and Emma were livid. They're, they've grown up at this point, but they were livid and they demanded a home of their own. And so Andrew sold them one of his rental properties, which apparently just so happened to be the home that they lived in when Sarah died. Oh, that's um, not yeah. great. He sold it to them for a dollar, which is, like, less than $31 today. Okay. First of all, like, it must be nice to have your parents buy you a house, but also it must be nice to, like, only have to pay 30 bucks for it. Um, Yeah. But so regardless, the girls moved into this house and tensions were high with the family and things only seemed to be getting worse as time went on in terms of their personal issues. Which were largely, we'll touch on this in a, like later, but personal issues were also largely kept private. So hmm. nobody really knows much about the dynamic other than what I'm telling you here. Um, so if you're thinking about certain theories, that's why we don't know. Okay. Um, so as Lizzie grew up, she seemed to be quite active in her community. She was generally pretty well liked. Um it didn't help that she was basically, or, or it did help, I should say, that she was basically the poster child for a wasp 
she was this prim, proper Victorian woman. And no, I did not intentionally choose to do two episodes on waspy women, but here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, however, she was frequently involved in a lot of social activities. Uh, people knew her. She was kind of like a, not like a pillar of the community, but you know what I mean? Like people knew her. She was rich. She was, she did like shit, like benevolent shit with mm-hmm. her church um, where she served as a Sunday school teacher to the children of immigrants. Um, she was active in organizations like the Women's Christian Temperance Union, the Ladies Fruit and Flower Mission, and the Christian Endeavor Society, which she served, the latter for which she served as secretary treasurer. Uh-huh. And she also served on the board of the Fall River Hospital. So um, she's a socialite. She's basically a socialite, yeah. But at the, at, by the time she's like 30. Okay. Her, she's in her early 30s. So in May 1892, so she's actually at this point 31, Andrew allegedly killed a bunch of pigeons in the family's barn with a hatchet because he believed, no, 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 no. It's just, that just, I wouldn't have been able to guess. Yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, there's a few of these. So yeah, so he believed that the neighborhood kids were sneaking into the barn to try to like hunt them basically and was like he didn't want kids on his property he was like oh get off my lawn like what i mean clint eastwood i've had it up to here with the pants up to the nipples you know the vibe so my sources differ on this but some say that lizzie was greatly upset by this because she had come to love the pigeons and see them as pets and had even built them a roost and so he basically killed her pets okay um whether or not that's accurate again people didn't really talk about their like issues they kept things private especially like the wealthy elite yeah so whether or not that's completely true i don't know but it it, it's shit like that that was going down at this point and a few months later in july and undisclosed because again we don't talk about things we put on a uncomfy wool sweater well no that's they don't like irish people as an irish person we put on the uncomfy wool sweater and we mush down our feelings and then we just die we wait until we die mm-hmm. um there was an undisclosed argument that caused lizzie and emma to sell the property they were living in back to their father for about okay. five thousand dollars so like in today's money about one hundred fifty-four thousand four hundred seventy-six ninety and 92 cents so he bought his house back he bought his house back got it and the two immediately went to take extended, quote, vacations. And when Lizzie returned from her vacation in New Bedford, Massachusetts, she offered to she opted to stay at a local boarding house for four days instead of immediately returning to her father's home. OK. Uh, so on the evening of August 3rd, John Morse, Sarah's brother, allegedly came to stay with the Bordens for a few days. Um well he came to stay he definitely came to stay but uh, like it depends on what his motives were yes yeah so some people say that it was just a visit like that he was just coming to visit his his nieces and ex-brother-in-law and some felt that it or some believe that it was about like potential business issues pertaining to property transfers that he was upset about and he wanted to discuss these with andrew that they had basically like some problems yeah um, and then another speculation was that it was to possibly help care for the family because they had recently become violently ill a few days before he arrived. Um, some family members speculated that it was food poisoning because, again, now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they had, like, Samsung refrigerators or anything back the in the 1890s. guy didn't even have a fucking toilet. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny you say that because the family was believed to be ill because they had left mutton on the stove and continued to use it in meals over the course of several days like in august in new england in the middle of a heat wave it was actually also in the middle of a heat wave um so like yeah what are you a fucking idiot you you're gonna get sick from that but this is what i mean when i say that like this guy was stingy like ice boxes were around what cost though yeah, but it, it, like ice boxes, not even fridges, just ice boxes had been around for about 50 years at that point. Yeah. So like it, it's the equivalent of like everybody owns a fucking crock pot at this point. Like it's it's you can you can dish out an ice box, but no, he's cheap. And clearly the meat had turned and he was like, yeah. but we're going to still eat it. So, yeah. <laughs> um. So. I lost my place ranting about ice boxes. Anyway, they were they were sick and Abby was apparently concerned that because Andrew was a prominent but not particularly popular member of the community, um she believed that somebody was trying to poison them. Mm-hmm. And regardless, Morse was slated to stay for a few days and he spent the night of August 3rd in the second floor guest room of their house. If that wasn't clear. Uh, So on the morning of August, I can't speak, 4th, 1892, Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, Morse, and the Borden's maid, Bridget Maggie Sullivan, um, who Maggie was an Irish immigrant, and she was about 25 years old at at this time. Uh And I will refer to her as Sullivan because I don't know why they kept, like, they called her Maggie? And okay. I feel like that's kind of like a, oh, everybody from Ireland is named Maggie, so we're just going to call you Maggie sort of deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, They just made it up because it I, was easier. Yeah, and it doesn't sit right with me. So I'm going to just call her Sullivan. What um, is it? Wasn't it one of those things that, like, their previous maid was named Maggie, so they were just that's like, That's what I'm saying. No. I think it reminds me of that. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not cool. Yeah. Um. Like, I I have vague memories of like ap history in high school of them being like oh yeah like all the maids were called maggie because like yeah you know what i mean and i'm not equating this to what's the word that i'm looking for i'm i'm not equating this to slavery or anything like that but at the same time the irish and i'll get into this in a bit were basically seen as like lesser Sec- people yeah, yeah yeah like not even lesser people like they were seen as like a different race lesser people yeah and i'm like y'all are all white like yeah. it, it's just and and the fact that they were catholic that didn't really help things because it was a pr- predominantly protestant community yeah like it just it didn't it it it, it just wasn't it wasn't the best yeah um so they all went downstairs to have breakfast and then Andrew and Morse went into the sitting room to discuss private matters for a, a, a bit under an hour. And at around 8.48 a.m., Morse left the house to go buy some oxen. Two two cute little oxen? Oxes? Oxen? As in the animal? As in the, yeah, the animal. Okay. You know, like they pull. There's two of Paul Bunyan's greatest friends. 
Just old timey shit buying. Yeah, you know, buying some ox. And he visited his niece, or he also planned to visit his niece, and was going to come back for lunch at about noon. So soon after that, at about 9 a.m., Andrew left to make his business rounds. He would basically take a walk every morning and he would visit all of his businesses. And so he left Abby, Lizzie, and Abby, I mean, Abby, goodness gracious, and Sullivan at home. And sometime between Andrew's departure and about 10.30ish a.m., Sullivan was outside washing windows, and then Abby went upstairs to the guest room to make Morse's bed. However, this was kind of weird because Lizzie and Emma, as part of their daily chores, was they had to like clean the bedrooms so they one of them lizzie in this case should have been making that bed okay so it was at this point that abby was attacked with a hatchet the killer based on um what's the word that i'm looking for Haley? based on her historical data no her wounds yeah um she saw her killer's face her she met her killer face to face okay um she so she knew who the person was Hmm. um they first hit her on the side of the head just above her ear which caused her to fall face down onto the floor and suffer contusions on her forehead and her nose her attacker then beat her in the head 17 more times with the hatchet resulting (sighs) in a total of 19 i I get i guess you'd call them stab wounds i'm not really sure what kind of a wound a hatchet wound would be qualified as yeah but you know what i mean yeah. Um, so just fucking uh, obliterated. And Ugh. Abby passed away as a result of her injuries at the age of 64. Mm. So at about 10.30 a.m. after Abby was killed, Andrew returned home and his key jammed in the lock. So he had to knock to get somebody to let him in. So mm. Sullivan went to go get the door. And apparently she was struggling to open it and swore and... As she would later explain, she heard Lizzie laugh over the situation from the second floor landing at the top of the stairs, but she didn't see Lizzie. She only heard her laugh. Like, like Sullivan okay. was just like, fuck. And then Lizzie was like, hey, hey. Um, So allegedly, Andrew, the, Lizzie came in and Andrew asked where Abby was. And she said that she had been called away by a messenger to tend to a sick friend and that mm-hmm. she didn't know when she would be back. So according to Sullivan, at around 11, 10 a.m., she was up in her bedroom resting. Her bedroom was on the third floor of the house um, because she had just been washing windows and she was still sick from food poisoning. And I can't blame I, I can't blame her. Yeah. Um, so Lizzie began yelling for her at about 11, 10 a.m. Quote, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. End quote. Mm. Andrew's still bleeding body was slumped over the sitting room couch and he had suffered 10 hatchet wounds, leaving his face unrecognizable. If you don't like these sorts of things, I would skip the next five seconds. Haley, you don't get to skip. Okay. One of his eyes had been split in half, like evenly, like in half. (laughs) Which means also that in addition to meaning that that's that's fucking gross um it means that he had actually been sleeping when he was attacked like his eyes were closed i don't know if that's better or worse neither are great neither situations are great if a fucking hatchet is involved yeah but hopefully it was like you were asleep and it was so quick that like 
Yeah, for both of these situations, yeah. I hope it was sudden, that it was instantaneous. But something yeah. tells me it wasn't. Um, but yeah, so Sullivan went to go get the family's doctor, Dr. Bowen, who lived across the street, and he pronounced both Andrew and Abby dead at the scene. It was determined that Andrew had died shortly before his body was discovered at about 11 a.m. at the age of 69 years old. And at the time of his death, Andrew's net worth had been valued at about $300,000, which is approximately... Nine million two hundred sixty-eight thousand six hundred fifteen dollars and thirty-eight cents in two-day money. That's some fuck you money. That's some fuck you money. However, because Abby had died first, that meant her estate technically first went to Andrew, who was then also murdered. Meaning there was a lot more money at play here. Okay, so like he absorbed her estate. And then, and then died. he died, and then and now it goes to the next. Yes. Person. So the so the so the trickle down economics of these murders, so to speak. I feel so. Who that, that was some smart words. Um, <laughs> we've got Abby's money trickling down to Andrew's money, and both of them are trickling down to Lizzie and Emma. Hmm. So when the authorities were called after the discovery of Abby and Andrew's, well, Andrew's body, Andrew's body. Yeah. Um. The only facts that were immediately determinable were that the killer attacked the Bordens in their home in broad daylight on a busy street, one block from the city's business district at around lunchtime, and yet nobody heard or saw anything. They didn't see somebody enter or leave the house. They didn't hear any screaming. They didn't hear any struggles. None of it. Hmm. Not the neighbors. Not any passersby. Nobody. And because Lizzie was a fine, upstanding citizen and a member of an extremely wealthy and successful family, and let's be real, being a woman played into this too, she wasn't even considered as a suspect at first. Furthermore, okay. a hatchet was the murder weapon. As I mentioned, I'd say at least several times. Um, the At the time, m- there were not a lot of female Victorian killers, but that they those knew of. that they knew that of, done. yes. Well, because that's what I'm about to get into. The preferred weapon of choice for female killers at the time poison. was poison. Yes. yes. So it also didn't fit the like, for lack of a better word, stereotype. Her dainty little hands couldn't have held up that hatchet. Well, it's funny you say that because we may we may discuss that at some point in in time. Um, but we'll we'll get it. and I, I and not to skip ahead, but also. I wouldn't even just go that far. I would also say, like, oh, her dainty little hands. But at the same time, in seriousness, she didn't work. She wasn't like a laborer. She didn't so come she from did a have farm family. It wasn't that she had dainty little hands, but you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like she was constantly using that axe. Yeah, yeah, that she's super or familiar. Hatchet, like excuse the, me. Yeah. And she was, like, five foot four. She wasn't particularly... Hey, I'm five three. Yeah, she's taller than you, but still, she wasn't particularly tall. All right. She wasn't, I don't know, five, seven. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but so there was also no evidence of robbery. 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 There was robbery. no evidence of robbery, no evidence of sexual assault, and no apparent motive because there were no people that they could think of to So we want got to, nothing. We've got nothing. The only Great. explanation investigators could think of was that it was committed by a man specifically one of the immigrants and or Catholics who lived in the neighborhood because, of course, let's blame it on the demographics who are the most unwelcome. And 
again, like you were suggesting before, like a woman couldn't possibly do this. Yeah. Um, so within a few hours, the police arrested their first suspect, who was an immigrant from Portugal. And within within that time frame, Lizzie was interviewed by the authorities before they made their first arrest. And she said that she had been in the barn when she entered the house because she had heard a groan, a scraping noise, some kind of a call for help, and discovered her father's body in the sitting room. She said she then yelled for Sullivan and told her to go get the doctor, who lived across the street, but that Sullivan discovered he wasn't home. So Lizzie told her to go get her close friend, Alice Russell, who was a single 40-year-old member of Central Congregational Church, and Alice lived down the street. Okay. Which would make sense. Except the city's physician lived right next door. And another doctor lived kind of like catty-cornered but behind the Borden's house. So like diagonal to where they lived. Uh-huh. So, so both, you could, both are doctors you could, and both are closer than Russell. You could throw a dead pigeon and hit three <laughs> doctors. No, not the pigeons. They're already dead. <laughs> God, I love you. You're so fucked up, and I love you so much. That was excellent. But there's uh, three doctors within spitting distance. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. But go get this um, other bitch. Yeah, you could swing a hatchet. Um, but uh-huh. no. So, and but however, the two doctors were respectively Irish and French-Canadian immigrants. Okay. So I'll let you infer from there. Um, and it it also doesn't matter that they both were very well educated and again fucking doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, so she so and then and then Bowen later returned home and showed up. Yeah, but this was really unfortunate because you know, well obviously. So Lizzie's got a case of you know the old bigotry, and you know who a considerable amount of the Fall River cops were. Hmm. Irish immigrants. And well, that included some of the officers who interviewed Lizzie. So you can imagine how she felt about that, given her prejudices. And you can imagine what they yeah, were thinking yeah. when she was like, well, I'm not going to call those other doctors because they're fucking, they're, they're, they're they foreigners. with my views. They're Irish. Um, so furthermore, Fall River had just elected their second Irish mayor. Dr. John Coughlin, whose newspaper, the Fall River Globe, was written by and for the working class, uh, class, class Irish citizens of the city. Mm-hmm. And that particular newspaper was also rather critical of wealthy mill owners. So Lizzie ain't making friends. Yeah, it sounds like they are not living in a place that aligns with uh, high views of theirs. I. <laughs> I heard the cat. <laughs> he is literally up at the mic. I don't know why he typically does not show up during these little discussions we all have, but he is here he today. And he to is say about Lizzie Borden. Please don't walk on my keyboard because you're going to like delete the episode or something. I love you, but you can't do this right now. Um, anyway, back to this. Um, yes. But yeah, so two hours after she was first interviewed... Lizzie told the authorities that she had actually heard nothing and just went into the house without realizing anything was wrong mm. and told them that her dad had come home and asked where Abby was after after the whole door incident, which she didn't mention. So that she had been she, she had been in the house or she had been in the barn. She came into the house. Her father had just come home. He wanted to know where Abby was. She did did the whole she's she's 
got in the message song and dance and then she took off his boots helped him put on his slippers and helped him lay down on the couch so he could take a nap okay lizzie also said that after finding her father's body she thought abby had come back home and asked if somebody could go upstairs to get her when sullivan and one of the neighbors mrs churchill went upstairs to go get abby to be like yo your husband's dead Haley, do you remember that when we used to say that all the time? Happy New Year, your husband's dead. It's from um, that video. With it's the, from that the, one video. The guy that plays is the voice of Linda. Companies and- com- oh no, that was it. Yeah, it's the other. It's the other one. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So so anyway, um, John Roberts. John Roberts. That was it. Yep. So they wanted to go upstairs and be like, "Happy August, your husband's dead," and they get to like, they're at that point where they're halfway up the staircase and that means their eyes are level with, with the, the second, floor with the yep, floor yep. of the second floor of the house and they immediately saw abby's body lying face down on the floor not chill not chill but also if well we'll get it well we'll explain so this contradicts her previous story yes but also again like i mentioned before Sullivan said that Lizzie had been on the second floor landing laughing because she swore at the door. Yes. So if Lizzie had been on the second floor, she would have clearly been able to see Abby's body if they could see it from the stairs. Yeah. Furthermore, Lizzie later denied having been upstairs and said that she didn't hear Sullivan swear at the door and therefore didn't laugh because she wasn't there. And Lizzie had said that she had helped her dad take his boots off. However... Andrew was found in the sitting room, like his body was found in the sitting room and his boots were still on. Like, okay. and not like somebody had just kind of like taken off the slippers and put on the boots and kind of, cause we'll get into somebody could have done this, but like they were firmly on. Okay. So Russell and Morse, their uncle, their uncle John, um, they stayed, they decided to stay in the house at this point um, to, basically keep these grieving girls company and i'm sure that they also wanted to provide them some comfort because you know the the fucking bodies are on display in the dining room on mortician beds yeah um because we didn't have we didn't have all of the the fucking bones and csi shit that we have today mm-hmm. is that you or me I think that's you. That's me. All right. Automatic feeder is going off and therefore we've got we're about to have anarchy. Which is fine. It's it's all good. So they stay in the house. And yeah. Morse, obviously, though a lot of people thought that this was not the case, Morse did not stay in the room where Abby was murdered, where he had been sleeping. Um, nobody, I think, would actually be willing to do that. Uh-huh. Um, so he went to stay in a guest room on the third floor in the attic. And... The police also stayed at the house the night of the murders to keep watch. And one of the officers later said that he witnessed Borden going down to the cellar with Russell with a kerosene lamp and a bucket. But that they so they went down, they went back up, but then Borden went back down to the cellar by herself. And he said he couldn't really see what she was doing, but that it seemed like she was hunched over the sink. Okay. So the next morning on August 5th, Morse tried to leave the house, but was mobbed by rubberneckers. And so the police had to escort him back into the house. Um, People like throngs of people the day of the murders. And then also like the next day, days later, um, 
they were super nosy and they were doing things like going into the house and walking around and like looking oh at all God. of this stuff yeah but also like it, like that's fucked up like people died and i it, you know like i'm not i that's i think that's despicable yeah but also that's a really great way to fuck up some evidence yeah no shit so <laughs> And not even just, not necessarily like, they, they clearly tampered with the evidence and it was mostly unintentional, but also like, that's also who's to say, no one's monitoring what they're doing. No one's seeing who's coming in, who's coming out. So who's to say that somebody didn't intentionally go in, mess with shit or hide shit or take shit to cover their own ass and then leave? Also, this is like old timey. So to have like evidence that actually can put somebody away like unequivocally you need to have like somebody there it, like with a knife in their hand yeah <laughs> like, like there's no dna testing there's no fingerprinting like yeah there's no minute details like you have to have some pretty substantial evidence to even be considered evidence and with all these people traipsing around like they're destroying any any hope of any type of evidence exactly though i will i will say that um they they did have more capabilities than Than i'm giving them credit for (laughs) well i was gonna say than i gave them credit for but yeah then we both are giving them credit for um because when i was reading about this i was like oh wow really they they did that they could do that and it's it's not that far from like the 20th century like i mean they're they're not right. they're not cave people okay <laughs> but so the they the following day um so on august 6th the police conducted a more thorough search of the home so now two days have gone by really essentially in which things can be fucked with okay in the cellar they found two hatchets two axes and a broken handled hatchet head so basically, like, you know, just the, the top of just, the hatchet. Yeah, just yeah, the, the metal, metal part. part. Um, there's photos online that you can see. It's a pretty clean, like, separation. Um, okay. But they initially suspected that the hatchet head was part of the murder weapon. Um, because the handle appeared to have been freshly broken off. And it looked like someone had tried to kind of make it look like it had been in the basement for a long time. But it hadn't been. Okay. Yeah. Um. So they also examined Lizzie and Emma's clothes, but they didn't take anything into evidence except for the milk, which they tested in conjunction with the contents of Andrew's and Abby's stomachs to see if there was any evidence of poisoning, which there was not. And this is where I come in with the, see, like, they can do some stuff. Um, But still, the fact that they took nothing into evidence, the fact (laughs) that they they, didn't do... Did they check to see if it was uh, poisoned by having, like, some other schmo drink it? Oh, my God. This is how we test it. Yes, yes gross mop that up um (laughs) but so as she continued to be interviewed by the police lizzie continued giving different answers to different officers um furthermore again the officers didn't really like her to begin with because she was prejudiced against irish people yeah and most of them were irish and she was prejudiced against immigrants and a lot of them if not all of them were were immigrants and she hated the catholics and guess what irish people mostly were at the time and so between that and the fact that again like she's a wealthy woman they're working class she's yeah there's already they are already 
too much that uh there's a lot working against her Yeah. yeah so most of the officers said that they hated her like they thought that she had a shitty attitude uh, some said did. that she was too calm and too poised for somebody whose family had just been killed. Um, I, everyone handles yeah things differently. So, I agree. I mean, I agree. that's that's not fair to say, really. Yeah. Um, others were really bothered because she didn't allegedly she didn't cry once during the entire ordeal in front of the cops, the strangers. Um, and yeah, again, I throw I throw that out. That's, I was going to say that's so suspicious. Like, who? What woman isn't hysterical? A woman. being calm she can't she can't keep her feelings in check (gasps) i've never heard of it i'm clutching my pearls but then came the discovery that lizzie attempted to purchase a poison prussic prussic or prussic i'm not sure p-r-u-s-s-i-c acid which is hydrocyanic acid Okay. And according to the New York Times, which reported on this way back in the day, All right. um, they said it was, quote, in a diluted form, end quote. And she tried to buy it from a nearby drugstore the day before the murders. You could buy Lizzie, poison at a drugstore? At the time, you could. I mean, they had Well, fucking, I mean, I guess everything's kind I, of I was going to say, they, they were giving people fucking cocaine just willy-nilly. It was in the soda. Yeah. It was in literally Coca-Cola. Um, but so... Lizzie explained, say, like, she just pushed it away and was just like, no, I needed it to clean my seal skin coat, cloak, not a coat, excuse me, um, and her other furs. And so Interesting. Okay. she was just like, no, like, that's why I needed it. And the thing is, like, the poison didn't really work as a cleaning agent or antiseptic. But okay. either way, she had tried to buy it. She didn't succeed. And again, there's no poison in Abby or Andrew's systems. Got it. So, and, and this is also hearsay, essentially. Like, somebody was like, I saw her try to buy it from the drugstore. Um, later that day, the police conducted a more thorough search of the home. Towards the end of the day, on August 5th, the mayor, Dr. Coughlin, and another police officer returned to the home to inform Lizzie that she was a suspect in the murders of her father and her stepmother. The next morning, Russell came downstairs and walked into the kitchen to find Lizzie ripping up a dress. Lizzie said that the dress had been covered in paint and was basically ruined. And so she was going to throw it into the fire and just dispose of it. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows whether or not that dress was the one she had been wearing on the day of the murders. Because, again, they didn't really, like, take any evidence. They didn't look into things. Yeah. And we nobody knows whether it was actually just... An unfortunately timed, like, disposal of a fucked up dress or if it was evidence. Yeah. Now, not only was this about the time of the Industrial Revolution, but it was also during the rise of sensational journalism and muckrakers. And for those who don't know, muckrakers were basically, like, tabloid journalists on speed. Like, they, the reason they were called that was because they would, quote unquote, like, rake the muck. They would try to bring up the dirtiest. They would use, like, fucked up tactics They would try to get all of, like, the dirt, even if it wasn't necessarily true. They didn't really bother to look into their sources. It was just about, like, getting eyeballs. A story. Yeah. A story, eyeballs, notoriety. Like, it was was not a great time for journalism. Not all of them were like this, but this was when, like, the national inquirers of the world started to kind of be on the rise. Yeah. They didn't really use ethical tactics. It It was a whole thing. So, soon, the Fall River Globe 
turned on Lizzie. That was the one that was owned by Mayor John, uh, Mayor Doctor John Coughlin, and it was for working class immigrants by working class immigrants. So they turned on Lizzie, a member of the wealthy elite, and began poking holes in her stories, interviewing anybody who would talk about her and the case, including her family, her neighbors, and they published sensationalized rumors that that. The wealthy elite, including her cousins and like other surviving family members, were conspiring to ensure she wouldn't be convicted by basically bribing the police and throwing money at the issue wherever they could. I mean, that's I, that's a bold accusation. That's like yes. a big thing. But yes. like it's in today's world. Yeah, it's not unheard of, but they had yeah. no it's not like they had any evidence to back it up. It's like it's like this is completely the unfounded. They're it's just like making Bat shit up. Boy. Remember Bat Boy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, the newspaper that was geared more toward the wealthy, the Fall R- River Evening News, shockingly, they defended Lizzie's innocence. So it was just there was a lot of bias yeah. on both sides. And less than a week after the murders, the Fall River police assembled an inquest during which Lizzie took the stand every day. And this would be the only time that she testified in court under oath. She requested to have her family's attorney present during the inquest, but this was not permitted because of a state statute that said that you could not have legal representation at a closed inquest. And this was a closed inquest. Okay. So during the inquiry, Lizzie's behavior was apparently quite erratic. And sometimes she would just be obstinate and refuse to answer questions, even if it would be helpful in clearing her name. As with her interviews with the police, she frequently gave contradictory details. For example, she reiterated the story about removing her dad's boots and replacing them with the slippers and yada, yada, yada. Despite the fact that they're literally holding up photographic evidence that her father still had his boots on when he died. And it wasn't it wasn't like, again, they're like pull on. They're kind of like Chelsea boots for those who know their shoes. Um, All right. They, they're just like pull on boots. It's not like okay. it, it like, yeah, you didn't really need to tie them. But at the same time, it's like you've got to you've got to pull those suckers on if you've got a dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it would have been a pain in the ass. Yeah. But she said that she had first been in the kitchen reading a magazine when her dad came home. But then later she said that she'd been in the dining room ironing clothes when he came home. And then again, she said that she had been coming down the stairs from the second floor when he came home. However, plenty of people were willing to testify on her behalf and did. Um, for example, her 41-year-old sister, Emma Borden, who also lived at the home again, but at the time she was on vacation in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, about 15 miles or for our international listeners, about 24 kilometers away at the time of the murder. So she was not there. Okay. Um, but she asserted that there that the girls had no issues with their stepmother, which, as we know, was mm, probably not true. Yeah. Doctor Bowen said that he actually had to prescribe Lizzie a double dose 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 a double dose of morphine after the murders because she couldn't sleep and mm. was so upset, and that he also had prescribed some to her again to calm her nerves before the inquest. And he said that that could be an explanation for her erratic behavior and differing testimonies because it could be a manifestation of the medication side effects. Okay. Yeah. So although they weren't able to really get a clear account of Lizzie's whereabouts on the day of the murders, the judge, the district attorney, and the police marshal determined that she was, quote, probably guilty, end quote. And which is always, that's that's great to hear. Yeah. Let's, and, throw, let's throw probably in there and just yeah. change someone's whole life. Yeah. 
So she was arrested on August 11th and put in jail in a nine and a half by seven and a half foot cell in the county jail for nine months. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So that's a bit of a, I mean, I know that she didn't really like her small little house on the busy street, but I think that's about, it's a bit better. It's a bit better than where you are for nine months. Yep. So the case soon garnered national attention. Um, Suffragettes and women's rights groups and groups like the Women's Christian Temperance Union that she was a part of, they began rallying around Lizzie in support. Um, In fact, the WCTU's president referred to Lizzie as a, quote, Protestant nun, end quote. And basically used that as saying she could never be capable of committing such atrocities because she was, I don't know, like, sexless and pious and single and basically a spinster so many people argued many of the the supporters argued that a trial against uh, like putting her on trial wouldn't be legitimate because as an american lizzie had the right to be judged by a jury of her peers Mm -hmm. however women did not have the right to vote they did not have the right to serve on juries so therefore they said like, she can't be judged by a jury of her peers because n- none of her peers will be on the jury. Yeah. Furthermore, national news outlets also began picking up this story. There was even a three-page article about the case in the Boston Globe. Mm. Um, yeah. news. Like I said, the New York Times reported about it. Yeah. Um, this was like the OJ trial of the late 19th century. All right. Um, so newspapers reported that Lizzie had a, quote, stolid demeanor, end quote, and that she, quote, bit her lips, flushed, and bent towards Attorney Adams, end quote, as in, like, she was, like, flirty. Okay. And it was also reported that the testimony provided the inquest, uh, provided in the inquest had, quote, caused a change of opinion among her friends who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence, end quote. Mm-hmm. So people were starting to question it, but a lot of people really kind of came to rally around her. Yeah. So in addition to her family's lawyer... Lizzie was represented by one of Boston's most prominent defense lawyers, Andrew Jennings. The police were forced to admit during the pretrial hearing um, that they didn't properly search Lizzie or her belongings immediately after the murder. And they got a ton of fucking criticism for that. Yep. And how many years has it been? How many decades? Hundred plus years it's been? And we're still we're still fucking shit up. Okay. Yeah. Um, During the preliminary hearing. More questionable evidence beyond what was revealed in the inquest was brought forward. For example, after they tested the axes and the hatchets that they found from the cellar, um, not the head, just the the whole, the two axes and the two hatchets. Yeah. Um, They also tested a dress that Lizzie turned over to the police two days after the murders, which she said she had been wearing on the day of the murder. Okay. And a Harvard chemist testified that he found no blood on the murder weapon, potential murder weapons. And that the dress only had a tiny speck of blood on the hem. Okay. Furthermore, Lizzie's defense team explained that she had not attempted to purchase the prussic acid and that the drugstore owner owner and other people who had identified her had just been mistaken. That it just wasn't her. I mean, that could also be a thing of like, she's getting a lot of press and you want to get a lot of press. So you make a claim like, oh, well, she said... uh, she tried to buy poison for me, and then everyone's interviewing you. So, I, mean, I can see how, like, maybe maybe they were mistaken. Maybe they wanted their 15 minutes of fame. I don't know. I mean, see, I can see that, and I would, I, I would tend to agree with you, and it still could be that case. But, again, 
when people were making these claims, it was during the inquest. So it wasn't national news at the time. Okay. All right. I mean, they could still have been like, again, I'm talking like thousands of people were showing up at her house. Like it was clearly like public interest for the local community. And they still could have yeah. been like, like, you know how people are always like trying to like show their connection to a case like, oh, well, I saw her just the other day and she was trying to buy pressure gas. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It still could be that. But at the same time, it's a little weird. Like, I can see both sides of this. It's a little weird that they were just like that. Lizzie said, no, I, I was trying to buy it for my for my fur coats or my furs. Yeah. And then her defense team goes, actually, no, you think it was her, but it wasn't her. So okay. it, it's just it's a little. But at the same time, her behavior is erratic. She's on meds. So it it, it could be it, it it's it's. Again, it's really, it's confusing. It's a very, yeah, it's a very yeah. confusing case. So, because, or not because, um, I mean, yes, because, but. So, the prosecution basically, they, they, they wanted to make an example out of Lizzie because hmm. she was wealthy and they basically wanted to show that the wealthy, the upper class, all of that, that the prim and proper were not above the law. Okay. Um, so despite the fact that much of the case was botched and that Jennings delivered what was apparently a rousing closing argument, it got apparently like applause, a standing ovation. Mm. Um, supporters packed the courthouse like it was it was very much on her side. The judge determined that Lizzie was probably guilty, should remain incarcerated until the Superior Court trial. And so they... Like, they found a reason to, like, we're, we were backtracking. Now we're, now we're forward again. Um, they found, they found, they got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They, they got this proof. Um, however, they were still hesitant to this superior court trial, despite the fact that the judge thought that she did it, despite the fact that, like, again, probably guilty isn't great, but it's probable guilt, they're thinking. Um, they, they just didn't think that they would be able to succeed in prosecuting her. Okay. Um, even though they felt she was guilty, neither the attorney general nor the district attorney wanted to touch the case with a 10 foot pole because of all the holes in the evidence, Lizzie's social status, her fan base, like it was all a perfect storm for the trial to go nowhere and for Lizzie to just walk. Yep. Still, they decided to go through with it. Um, So after having testified during the inquest and this preliminary hearing, as well as before the grand jury, Russell ended up consulting a lawyer to inform him. Russell is, again, like Lizzie's friend that stayed in the house. Yeah. And Russell. But she went to a lawyer because she was like, I left some stuff out during my first two interviews. And so he was like, you need to contact the DA immediately. So once again, she took the stand before the grand jury on December 1st, 1892, and revealed that incident that came up where she found Lizzie burning the dress in the kitchen. Uh Uh-huh. Borden was indicted the next day. So, yeah, so they're sitting there and they're all like, they're concerned about the prosecution is concerned about the botching of the case and all of that stuff. Um. Once they, once this comes out, they're headed to trial at warp speed. Well, not warp speed, but for the legal system, warp speed. Um, so 
despite the fact that she was indicted the next day and they they seem to have like a bit of a case the judge was on their side they're like she's getting indicted by the grand jury um the attorney general and the district attorney were still not eager to try lizzie and on april or in april 1893 i couldn't find an exact date the district attorney actually literally called out sick like he like from the entire trial okay um he said that his doctor felt that he, he he said that he was sick and that his doctor felt that he would not be able to handle the trial in his condition that it would that, take yeah. that it would that would make him worse yeah um which is like to me the equivalent of like somebody asking you to go for a play date or something when you were a kid and being like sorry my mom said no and being like mom say no like yeah. that's the vibe i'm getting so but regardless, so this guy was replaced by future United States Supreme Court Justice William H. Moody and Bristol County District Attorney Hosey, I believe is how you pronounce it. I, I saw different one, different pronunciations for this, but it's H-O-S-E-A. Knowlton, who the, like Knowlton also felt that it would be a difficult case to try, p- despite personally believing that Lizzie was guilty. Um, but he was like, I'm going to. Give it the old college try. He was very likable because he was like, I'm not going to shy away from things. And also he was something of like a celebrity lawyer in the Massachusetts area. He was well known. He was well liked. No, for example, one reporter from New York who did believe that Lizzie was innocent wrote of um, Knowlton that his, quote, eloquent appeal to the jury entitles him to rank with the ablest advocates of the day, end quote, and not ablest as in like, IST, but ableist is in like the most able, the okay. like the most adept. So Knowlton hoped that he could, he was like, I don't know that we're going to win this trial, but what I'm going to shoot for is a hung jury because then yeah. there's more time to find more evidence and then he can motion for a retrial. Yep. So five days before the trial started, there was another axe murder committed in the Fall River area. Mm. Uh, but this was ultimately com- determined to have nothing to do with the case because the gentleman who committed the crime, well, he wasn't a gentleman, he was a dude. Um, he, commi- he he killed people. So, I mean, you lose that kind of right to being a gentleman at yeah. this point. But he um, had been nowhere near the Borden's house on the day of the murder, of, of their murder. So they eventually were just confirmed. like, yeah, that was not him. Hmm? That was confirmed. That was that confirmed. He was, that he, okay. Yes. Um, l- much later, but it was confirmed. Yeah. So on June 5th, but at this time, there was still that speculation, I should say. Yeah. It's during the trial. It's fishy. Yeah. Yeah. So on June 5th, 1893, 1893, the trial began and Lizzie was once again represented by Jennings, but also by Melvin O. Adams and former Massachusetts Governor George D. Robinson, who, because again, she's got money, so she can hire the best of the best. Yeah. Um, During robinson's time as governor he appointed one of the three justices who were presiding over the case which was immediately seen as a conflict of interest and just another example of the wealthy elite stacking the deck in their favor yeah and especially since the justices did things like declaring the details uncovered during the inquest as inadmissible and Mm -hmm. excluding the testimony about the prussic acid saying that the prosecution had not refuted whether or not the poison could be used for purposes besides you know killing people yeah poisoning uh also the fall like the city of fall river in and of itself was excluded from the jury pool which not only meant lizzie couldn't be judged by people who were say 
closer to her case and peers, essentially. Uh, but it also meant that the other potential jurors in the surrounding area were largely Protestant. Um, many of them were men about her father's age who had daughters about her age. Mm. And again, only men can serve on the jury. And but I would say that the fact that it was uh, the people of Fall River were taken out of the jury pool, that's not like uncommon. Uncommon. Yeah. yeah. Because like very frequently high profile cases are taken out of the immediate yes. area where they happen because of there's already a bias there. Yes. Whether it's for. Yeah. Whether it's for or against the person like it's yes. too close. It's it's too, too close. close for comfort. Yeah. Yes. It's the it's like with the the Bernie Tide case. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Way long ago. Um, but so regardless, one of the people who was appointed to the jury, for example, owned a mill. Um, okay. So it was like, or, or not a mill, a metal factory, excuse me. Um, but it was like, it was easier to find people who would be biased in her favor. Um, in fact, there was only one Irish immigrant who ended up on the jury. Okay. So because the case and the trial had so many easily sensationalized components, the articles written about Lizzie and this case were often very dramatic and like dramatized accounts of what were happening. Um, Some days it was it was legitimate. It was truthful. Like, for example, they were quick to report when um, as part of the evidence, Lizzie's father and her stepmother's severed heads were brought into the courtroom and she understandably passed the fuck out mm. um they they were super quick to report on that because of the drama but then yeah. on on slower news days they would comment about lizzie yawning in the courtroom looking bored and otherwise not taking the case very seriously when first of all people fucking yawn it happens you do this yeah. um looking bored it's like it's like to me it's like resting bitch face like yeah it, it seems like people are constantly judging a woman's appearance um but so like court's not the most exciting fucking place to be that's what i'm saying like you're not gonna have drama every day but they're trying to create drama yeah even when there's none yeah um but lizzie too not not to her credit but like to be fair it wasn't just them the 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 press who's kind of perpetuating this because Lizzie kind of played into it. Um, For example, her legal team was like, you need to dress in black. You need to be very serious, blah, blah, blah. But instead she appeared in court with like a tight corset. She would wear like really like flowy show off clothes. She would wear, she, she would like have a bouquet of flowers in one of her hands and a fan in the other. Well, Um, like she was, she was seeing it as like being seen. Yeah. So, one newspaper described her as, quote, quiet, modest, and well-bred, end quote, and basically not a, quote, brawny, big, muscular, hard-faced, coarse-looking girl, end quote. Yeah. And another said, like, furthermore, to extrapolate on that, that she lacked the, quote, Amazonian proportions, end quote, required to wield an axe even once, much less multiple times, over, right. over the course of an hour and a half, which, with such force that she could kill her father and stepmother by giving them respectively 19 and 10 wax. Um, So, I mean, and like we had said earlier, it makes sense, but at the same time, a lot of sexism played into this, like thinking, because there are women who could do that. Yep. She could have done it. We don't know what she, like she built a roost. 
who knows what that entailed who who's built a roost somebody let us know yeah but like you don't like i mean nobody knows for sure what's going on here and at the same time they talk about like mothers who will lift cars for their children because they're so like worked up Mm -hmm, who's to say mm -hmm. that she wasn't so worked up that it wasn't the adrenaline i mean again you can see it on both sides you can see both sides so both the press and the prosecution were heavily interested in the hatchet head that had been recovered in the Borden cellar. The prosecution suggested that the handle had been forcibly removed because it was covered in blood, not that it had just like been removed because it had been used so much that it just fell the fuck off. Yep. And in another amazing case of incompetency, one of the police officers on the scene said, oh, yeah, I saw that handle near the hatchet head, the one that used to be part of it. Um, and they were like, did you bring it in? And he was like, nah. Oh, you mean do something useful? No. Nah. Yeah. And then another one of the police officers was like, no, I didn't see a hatchet handle over there. I'm like, well, yeah, you're not going to see it now. Someone got rid of it because the first guy didn't grab it. Yeah. So that's about where we're at. And then regardless, no handle was recovered. No bloody clothes were recovered because they didn't do that either. And although Russell did return to testify about her encounter with the paint dress situation, um, it, it just it wasn't much. It wa- there wasn't a lot. Um, okay. Another point of interest was Lizzie's whereabouts during the murders, which continued to be up in the air. Uh, Sullivan once again came back to testify and she said that she had been upstairs at about 11 a.m. after she let Andrew into the house, left him with Lizzie in the sitting room. And while Lizzie said that she had not been in the house, she had been in the barn and had been there for, quote, 20 minutes or possibly a half an hour, end quote, two witnesses by the names of Hyman Lubinsky and Charles Gardner testified that they saw Lizzie leaving the barn at about 11.03 a.m. Then at about 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Sullivan downstairs, said that Andrew had been murdered, um, but also she was like, don't come into the room. Just go get Dr. Bowen. Now, that could have been to cover her ass. That also could have been like, hey, this is a really fucked up thing that you shouldn't have to see. Yeah, I'm looking out for you. You don't need to see this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, it could be nefarious. It could be not. All of this stuff could literally, like, you could see it from both directions. Exactly. And and, and it's so fascinating to me that, like, again, I tried to keep it, like, showing both sides of this because there's no real, like nail in the coffin not to be not to be gauche but there's no like real like okay well she definitely yeah, did it, it or she definitely yeah. didn't and yeah. yet like we said we've been saying this rhyme since we were growing up like that she was so quickly just presumed guilty yep and demonized over it mm-hmm. um whether she was or not it, it, it just people really kind of and still do fed into this yeah people have very strong opinions about this case yeah people have very strong opinions and the fact that people are still talking about it but the amount of people who are like oh i don't know if she was guilty are few and far between um Mm -hmm. so anyway to get off my 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 soapbox here um she was like just go get dr bowen and regardless when it was time for the jury to deliver their verdict um apparently they came to a decision instantly but they waited an hour and a half to make it seem like it hadn't been a quick or an easy decision for them. Okay. 
The announcement that Lizzie was acquitted on all charges was met with resounding cheers from the courtroom audience, the press, the women's rights groups who had come to support her, just fucking everybody. Um, and when Lizzie left the courthouse, she told reporters she was, quote, the happiest woman in the world, end quote. Mm. Well, yeah, no fucking shit. Yeah. After the trial and after paying an undisclosed settlement to Abby's family, um, Lizzie and Emma used some of their massive inheritance, again, $900 million, not $900 million, but still quite a pretty penny. Yeah. In today dollars, back when houses were affordable. Uh, spoiler alert. They bought a house for a dollar last time. They bought a house for a dollar last time. <laughs> Granted, it was from their dad, but still. Um, they, but they bought a large estate, which they moved to. Lizzie named it Maplecroft. It was in the Hill neighborhood where she had always dreamed of living. Mm. Presumably, it had indoor plumbing. And there they had a whole staff. Live-in maids, a housekeeper, a coachman, the whole fucking nine. Sullivan was not among the staff. We'll get into the where are they now with her in a bit. Mm -hmm. But Lizzie also began going by the name Lisbeth A. Borden. Lisbeth. Lisbeth. And she would spend her time, like you said, like being a socialite, but more. Um, This time, instead of just like traipsing around town, she's traveling to Boston. She's going to New York. She's visiting Washington, D.C. She's eating at fancy restaurants. She's going to the theater. She's keeping up appearances. She's got the money to do it. Yeah. However... Even with the name change, even with the new money, the house, all of it. She lives on the hill. She got to where she had always wanted. She was less of a celebrity and more of a sideshow. She had people following her around all the time when she was going into town, when she was not in town, when she was elsewhere. Like people treated her like a like a like a sideshow and just fucking like nobody really treated her like a human being they treated her yeah. like like it, it's like the downside of celebrity you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and f- the people that she cared about the people in her congregation her own family uh with the exception of her sister all of them shunned her nobody really mm-hmm. wanted anything to do with her because it was too scandalous to have anything to do with her yeah um so she effectively she effectively became something of a recluse to avoid the negative attention that she was receiving uh, but neighborhood kids would still go to her house to Maplecroft and they would like mess with her and pull pranks and mm. just kind of like fuck around with her. Yeah. Um, in 1897, Lizzie was accused of shoplifting in Providence, Rhode Island, and a warrant was put out for her arrest. Apparently, she was charged and made restitution. In 1905, Lizzie decided to throw a party for actress. I don't know if this is Nance or Nancy O'Neill because it's spelled N-A-N-C-E. Uh, but okay. she was a pretty popular actress at the time, and this caused Lizzie to get into a big blowout, knockdown, dragout argument with Emma. Mm. And Emma, as a result, moved out of Maplecroft. They never spoke again. They never saw oh, each wow. other again. Yes. And then they passed away. Now, despite this, Emma went to New Hampshire. Um, okay. So they weren't even in the same state. And think about this again. Like I said before, she's 10 years older, but she also... Gave, like gave her life for her sister like yeah. her she took her mother's she, like, words to take sister. care of baby lizzie to heart in 1927 lizzie passed away on june 1st 1927 mm-hmm. and emma passed away on june 10th wow yeah but they had not spoken they had not been in touch but still it was almost like they're like in my opinion it was like like they they their spirits felt it 
Yeah, yeah. One was gone, and the other, the the one who, because again, Lizzie died first. Lizzie was almost ten years younger. Yeah, but she died first. It was like Emma's. Emma could go. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, she she had kept her promise to her mother, but so yeah. So the sisters were buried at Oak Grove Cemetery in Fall River beside Andrew, Abby, their mother Sarah, and their sister Alice. The murders of Andrew and Abby remain unsolved. There are still a lot of questions as to what happened that day, why, how. There were lots of theories that have been posed about who could have committed the murders. Uh, some theories suggest that Lizzie was actually a victim of incest at the hands of her father and that I she heard was... that, yeah. Yep, that's what I was alluding to before for those who were like, hmm, wonder what Caitlin's talking about. Um, that That was kind of... So again, like, they didn't really talk about that stuff back then. They didn't really talk about any kind of drama so there's no way of knowing for sure whether or not that was the case. So you can't really throw out the theory and you can't really like consider it reputable. Mm-hmm. But furthermore, they it, that it, that allegedly was also something that was kind of like rumored by like sensational journalism. Yeah, that um, sounds like it. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily completely accurate, shall we say. So we don't we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. That's an that's a big I don't know. That falls in the I don't know category. Mm hmm. The next one is, again, she's upset that he killed her pet pigeons. Um, I don't know about that one either. Nobody really does. If somebody killed my cats, I'd be fucking pissed. Would I kill over it? I don't know. Felix is looking at me, though, so I'm going to say yes. Um, (laughs) But then the other one was that she was simply tired of living under her father's thumb. Like, that he kind of didn't treat her the way he treated his wife and his new wife and his new wife's family that he kind of really held the purse strings tightly and she's 32 years old and she's living at home and then she's living in a house that like her father used to rent out that was her childhood home like that she just kind of snapped yeah um that's another theory that's also under the maybes because again we don't know all of this is it really falls under we don't know yeah. Um, others think that there's there's two different theories about Sullivan. Well, three, I guess we'll go with. Um, one theory is that Sullivan might have lied, that Lizzie was not at the top of the stairs, that Lizzie didn't send her to go like like do all of this stuff, that Lizzie wasn't distraught, or that Lizzie was distraught and she didn't say, mm-hmm. um, because of the family's bigotry towards immigrants, particularly the Irish, particularly the Catholics. So she's just kind of was they called her, her Maggie. The like, yeah. you know what I mean? Um so her testimony was kind of her way of exacting revenge on Lizzie. Some okay. people have even taken it a step further and suggested that Sullivan herself committed the murders as what whatever you want to call it an act of revenge, defiance that she snapped to frame after to, to, to frame Lizzie? no that she got pissed so it was like okay the theory is that lizzie abby andrew treated maggie like shit and Which that they might have yes yeah. well i mean she was their maid so uh, and they were bigots and odds are good and they were already calling her the wrong name so yeah yeah and i mean as, as somebody who's been called the wrong name once or twice it gets annoying after a minute um but so the theory is that she snapped and was just like like that she just killed abby and andrew for example it like abby could have been like excuse me you're going up to your bedroom to to take a nap even though she did this after but you know what i mean she's washing the windows and she's like um you didn't make the bed and she snaps 
yeah. or the door is broken and she's not what ha- what have you that she snapped she was sick of all of them and that she killed abby and andrew for whatever reason didn't or wasn't able to kill lizzie maybe because lizzie was holed up in the barn and she couldn't find her i don't know mm-hmm. but and that she then fucked with her testimony to incriminate lizzie so that okay. lizzie would go to jail because she couldn't kill lizzie that's one theory and however sullivan she after the trial she moved to butte montana and married a man while she she was working at a, as a maid there and she met a man and she married him um and allegedly she confessed on her deathbed in 1948 that she had changed her testimony to protect lizzie uh-huh so not sure what that's about then in 1967, writer Victoria Lincoln suggested that Borden might have actually committed the murders while being in a fugue state. Um, and again, we don't talk about our fam- family problems. We don't talk about any real problems. So it could have been, we, I mean, they don't talk about mental health problems either. Yeah. Um, in a 1984 book titled Lizzie, the author, mystery novelist Ed McBain suggested that Lizzie, who she never married, and it was later on, like, in her life, rumored that she was gay because she just lived alone, unmarried, and God forbid a woman lives by herself. Yeah. A man does it. He's a bachelor. A woman does it. She's a lesbian. And there's nothing wrong with being a lesbian. But it's just like, again, it's another case of the back then, even still a little bit now, like, being gay was not, it was seen as something shameful. It was seen as something scandalous. And... So they weren't saying it because it was just like, oh, maybe she's gay. They were saying it like, oh, I bet she's gay. Like, just, yeah. you know what they I mean? They were speculating negatively. Yes. Yeah. So he believes that Sullivan and Lizzie were caught by Abby in a, in a romantic tryst and that Abby reacted negatively, mm-hmm. which led Lizzie to kill abby but with a candlestick instead of a hatchet mcbain also theorized that then when andrew came home lizzie was like yo i'm gay abby found out abby wasn't chill about it i killed abby andrew reacted the same as abby about lizzie being gay and lizzie snapped and killed andrew with the hatchet which sullivan then disposed of with by removing the 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 handle in the basement and making it look like yada 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 this is the kristen stewart movie it, why you gotta do this to me <laughs> what we'll get there all right all um right. however there was another complete other so yeah it could have been sullivan it could have been lizzie other people were like well what about john morse lizzie's uncle maternal yep. uncle his his sister died like you know what i mean um he didn't really see the family after sarah's death but he just decided to come visit them right before these murders literally the night before the murders yeah um furthermore law enforcement did note that when they interviewed morse about the murders he provided an quote absurdly perfect and over detailed alibi for the death of abby borden end quote like he's been really thinking about it yeah well, I mean, yeah. again, the fact that, like, we don't know, for example, whether or not not to not to beat a dead pigeon, but whether or not he killed Andrew killed those fucking pigeons. But we know that this guy bought two ox. Yeah. And then he went to go see his other niece. Like, it, it's just it. I can understand the suspicion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but so yeah so he was actually seen as a suspect for a certain amount of time um but it it just nothing really stuck you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and then there was another theory that there was a man named william borden who was believed to be andrew's illegitimate son um this was speculated by author arnold brown um he wrote the book lizzie borden the legend the truth the final chapter and he said that william basically tried to extort money from andrew and failed so he killed him and then he killed abby like he killed abby because abby was home and then he killed andrew Um, that one sounds like it's kind of coming out of left field though yeah yeah i mean in my opinion the one about the the like lizzie and sullivan being together that also seems kind of like out of left field like it's not like this guy wrote this in 1904 he wrote it in 1984 we're a hundred years past these murders at this point yeah Um, like it sounds like people are are really like grasping at straws here and trying to like again trying to sensationalize it more than it needs to be yeah and it gets better because in an in so during when brown wrote this book there was an author who was named leonard Rabello. And he was researching for this book, and he proved that William was not actually Andrew Borden's son. He full-on moried that shit and was like, you are not the father. I feel like if you're going to publish a book about it, you should probably, like, confirm your deets. But it makes it less juicy. That's true. Um, and again, like, this was the, this happened during the dawn of sensational journalism, we still have sensational journalism. We have it all the time. It's yeah. it's it's fucking like we've talked about like how we've gotten the wrong idea because the media skews things. Um but so yeah, so then finally there's Emma. We know Emma Borden had an alibi. However, in his 1984 book Lizzie, crime writer Frank Spearing suggested that she might have actually secretly come home from her vacation just to kill them and then went back to, to Fairhaven and got to back keep in that time. Alibi. Yes, got back in time to receive the telegram being like your dad and your stepmom are dead. Okay. Um but it's also important to note here that I, I suggested this I mentioned this before. It was the middle of a huge fucking heat wave when Andrew and Abby were killed. Yep. And regardless of who killed them and why there's there's one thing that I learned from Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which if you haven't seen that movie, it's very good. I highly recommend it. But it it's the the basic message of that movie is that situations like these heat waves bring out the worst in people and yeah. make them just do wild shit that they wouldn't normally do under like saner circumstances. Yeah, and there's no like I mean, he didn't have indoor plumbing, so there's no air conditioning or anything. No. So and also, I think everybody in that house was kind of doing like different well, labor they had type food jobs. Poisoning. They all had food poisoning. They all still had to like do jobs around the house, whether it was like clean up or do dishes or whatever. So like, I would be on edge. <laughs> I'd be on edge. And then also like, who's to say that like, for example, the bacteria that gets into the food poisoning or into the food that poisons them doesn't have an effect on your mental state because you're eating it for days and it's getting yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah um like i mean it but my point is it just it seems that we're never really going to know what happened that day and even though materials like the personal journals of lizzie's attorney 
were recent have been recently found even today um it, it's just family records continue to be like diaries and things like that continue to be uncovered maybe we'll find out someday but who knows mm. who knows so now we'll get into the pop culture thing because as 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 you know people have heard of this people have have heard yeah tales of this case so for example lizzie loved the theater so it should come as no surprise that there's some theatrical portrayals of her for example the 1933 play nine pine street by john colton and carlton mills or miles excuse me um and that was based on lizzie's story um in fact lillian geish who was a huge actress at the time um, like one of the biggest from like the 1920s ish, like like a silent film actress. Mm-hmm. Um, she played Effie Holden, who was based on Borden in, as the lead. Uh, the play, however, was not successful and only ran for 28 performances. Eh, it happens yeah, sometimes. it does. It happens sometimes. In 1947, Lillian De La Torre wrote a one act play called Goodbye, Miss Lizzie Borden about, you know, Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and then there's the 1952 Broadway musical called New Faces, which depicted crimes about like various popular crimes. And they had a number, a musical number called Lizzie Borden. OK. Um, Agnes DeMille, she had a ballet called Fall River Legend, which premiered in 1948. And in 1965, Jack Beeson, the Jack Beeson Opera lizzie borden premiered and again like all of these are based on lizzie's life and the murders of andrew and abby um another one is blood relations which premiered in 1980 and it was written by sharon pollock um and that that kind of dives into what led to the murder what led up to the murder um, and that was made into a TV movie in Calgary, Canada. The, the The production was Canadian, and then the TV movie was also Canadian. Uh-huh. Um, and then there was another musical, which was called Lizzie Borden, and that was made starring Tony nominee Alison Frazier. And then we've got um, the TV show, or uh, it was like a TV play. Um, okay. And it was called, the, the, the series was called Playbill, and it was kind of like they showed a different play every single episode. That's cool. And yeah, I wish they, I wish they would actually do that more. They used to do that kind of on PBS, but they don't really, yeah. as far as I know, do it anymore. Um, but the episode or the play or whatever you want to call it, Lizzie Borden took an axe. Wonder where that came from. Uh, premiered on April thirteenth, nineteen fifty five, and actress Ruth Springford played Lizzie. And then Alfred Hitchcock Presents was another popular series, and in the first season. Um, there's an episode titled The Older Sister, and Carmen Matthews played Lizzie Borden, and Joan Loring played Emma, and also uh, Hitchcock's daughter, Pat, played Sullivan, who was called Margaret in this mm-hmm. um, this this episode. It premiered on January 22nd, 1956, but it takes place at the time that, or, or not at the time, a year after, so around the time of the trial. But a year after Lizzie has committed or, or Lizzie is believed to have committed these murders. And there's a female reporter who's kind of like a Nellie Bly character. For those who don't know of Nellie Bly, she was like the first female reporter. And she was like, I'm going to get the story and blah, blah, blah. 
Okay. Um, she, this, this type of character is trying to interview the sisters and figure out what happened. And at the end of the episode, it's revealed that the character of Emma is the one who killed Andrew and Abby. Hmm. Spoiler alert from 50 some odd years ago, 60 years ago. Um, then there was another TV series um, on March 24th, 1957. The series Omnibus presented two different adaptations of Lizzie Borden's story. The first was a play, The Trial of Lizzie Borden, which starred Catherine Bard as Lizzie. And then the second was the Fall River Legend Ballet, which was called The Accused. And that starred Nora Kay as the Lizzie Borden character. And then in 1959, The Legend of Lizzie by Reginald Lawrence was, it, it was pretty popular. It was pretty, it was seen as like people, people, it, it got critical praise. Okay. Um, Anne Meacham played Lizzie Borden. Um, however, it closed after two performances. So despite, Ooh. despite the critical acclaim, it just was, it, people didn't go see it. All right. And then the folk group, the Chad Mitchell Trio, wrote a song called Lizzie Borden on its 1961 live album, Mighty Day on Campus. Mm -hmm. And it was a single, like they released it as a single. Mm -hmm. And it reached number 44 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1962. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we'll get into some TV and some film. So in 1975, there was a made-for-TV movie that premiered called The Legend of Lizzie Borden that starred Elizabeth Montgomery from Bewitched. Samantha. We uh -huh. love her. We know her. We praise her. Fun fact. Elizabeth Montgomery didn't know it at the time, but she is actually, or was, sixth cousins with Lizzie. Whoa. Yes. And she did not know it. It did not come out until after her death. Like, oh, wow. A, a genealogist happened to uncover it and was just like, Oh my God! Like they were That's related, so and she played yeah. her long lost cousin. In 1993, we're gonna bump it forward. Borden was a character on the Simpsons episode Treehouse of Horror Four. Um, she okay. is a member of the Jury of the Damned, and is included amongst other historical like bad guys, like okay. John Wilkes Booth. Benedict Arnold, like just of, of the days of yore. Yeah. Uh, she also was featured as an attraction on Captain Spaulding's murder ride from the 2003 film House of 1000 Corpses. House of a Thousand Corpses, yeah. I, I wrote <laughs> 1000 here, and you know what? I'm fucking tired. So <laughs> don't come it's for a, me. It's I don't a pretty popular horror. horror movie. I've never heard of it. I'm sorry. Okay. All I'm right. sorry. You're I was right. like, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, yeah. 1,000 corpses, you say? It's like a Rob Zombie movie. I, that name means something to me. I've heard of him. Uh -huh. I'm, as far as I know, he is not a zombie. But what... All right. So we'll get to... I'm trying to figure out how I want to do this. These next three. Okay. We're gonna. These are the big ones. These these are the these are the more well known ones to me at least because apparently House of, the Th of a Thousand Corpses is huge. Um, so we'll go a little out of order here. So in 2015, right. there was an episode of Supernatural called Thin Lizzie that aired, and in the episode, Sam and Dean, Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles, the two main characters, 
they that everyone wanted to smooch huh everyone wanted them to smooch no everyone wanted one of them show. to smooch the angel guy cast castile okay. the angel um i don't know many seasons have not watched but after several people are murdered with an axe at the original lizzie borden house they go to check it out and they think that her ghost is haunting and killing people but then they find out that she's not the murderer. And because it's still in syndication, I'm not going to tell you who is. Um, okay, even though right. I've kind of already spoiled it. But yeah, so that's one of the big three. Next, we will talk about the Lifetime movie. Lizzie Borden took an axe from 2014. That's what it's called? It's what it's called. You don't remember that movie? No. Oh, well, it stars Christina Ricci. And she, yeah, she plays Lizzie Borden. Um, and then it also, it, it had a, like, limited series slash sequel to the movie called The Lizzie Borden Chronicles. Okay. And it documented what Borden's life was like after the trial. All right. Um, so there's that. And then finally, as Haley so, so beautifully ruined for me before... We also have the movie Lizzie, yep. which came mm-hmm. out in 2018. And as Haley told us, stars Kristen Stewart as Bridget Sullivan and Chloe can never pronounce her name right. Savigny Savini as Lizzie Borden. And this one dives into the whole murder, but make they it were. gay. And yeah, yeah. It, it it just kind of it, it's they, they're they're. They're together, they're in love, they're, they conspire to kill, and you can watch it for free on the Roku channel, you can watch it for free on Tubi, um, I believe you can also watch it for free on Amazon Prime. All right. Um, it's got a 5.9 out of 10 on IMDb, a 73% Google score, and a 66% um, on Rotten Tomatoes with a 40, tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 47% audience score. All right. And the critics' consensus is not great. <laughs> uh, quote, Meh. Lizzie forces audiences to take a new look at a widely known true crime story, even if the well-acted end result is never quite as gripping as it could be. <laughs> end quote. All right. So they're basically saying it was boring. They, they were basically saying not enough boobs is the vibe I'm getting. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, well. yeah. Why can't we just fetishize lesbians? Um... I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I have no idea, but it's, it is what it is. All right. Um, it also doesn't have like a ton of, of scores. So, or ratings or what have you, but, um, it, it it's, I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, Dennis O'Hare plays the uncle and, um, what's her name? Aunt Petunia from Harry Potter plays, yep. um, Abby Borden. So it's it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting cast. I can see that casting. That's yeah, pretty good. It's a pretty interesting cast. Um but that brings us to the piece de resistance in which okay. there's so the evidence that I talked about, bits of the evidence, the the few pieces that the police did recover. Um including including the the hatchet head are preserved at the Fall River Historical Society in Massachusetts. You can go look at them. You can go check them out. Yep. Um, furthermore, the Borden House 
is now a museum and B&B. Yeah. You can go there, you can tour there, um, you can stay there. I think BuzzFeed Unsolved did an episode there. I think they might have. That's not, that yeah. rings a bell. That rings a bell. Um, the the house was reconstructed to look exactly the way it did when the murders took place. Um, because yep. we you, we've talked about dark tourist before. Um, yeah. Th- this is this is a prime example of that. Um, yeah. This is this is definitely dark tourism. Yeah. The the barn was like that Lizzie was in or maybe not in. We don't know. Is now a gift uh-huh. shop. Um, of course. Because <laughs> yeah. why not? But it apparently, granted, when I was reading about this, it was before the pandemic, but apparently it gets thousands of visitors every year. People, yeah. according to the manager, Leanne Wilbur, people come from everywhere from like Germany, Australia, Japan, New Zealand. Hey, if I was in the area, I'd go check it out. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I think you and I could go check it out, maybe. Yeah. And a lot of people and go, go to Salem and go to Salem. No, now we got to do it. And we got to go to the biggie. For those who don't know what the biggie is, it's like you get it. If Americans love one thing, it's a lot of food. It's too much food. And they have so much food and they have animals. They have a petting zoo. It's it's there's rides. There's all kinds of shit. It's like a county fair, but big because that's all right. how Americans like America. it. I was about to say because America. Um, but yeah. So a lot of people go there because of the macabre. A lot of people go there because they're like, oh, I want to see a ghosty. Um, and the history and, and the history i guess the history uh, <laughs> um no but it's for example um on the website they talk they touch on that people go there largely for ghost hunting yeah of um course. and to to quote the website quote while some guests do not witness anything many regularly claim to experience all manner of strange things throughout the film there's a few typos in this so i might fuck this up um this includes strange odors, voices, objects moving on their own, feeling touched at night, and footsteps to seeing full-body apparitions. Of course, we do not guarantee that guests will have any haunting experiences while staying here. End quote. Fun. Furthermore, um, according to the website, quote, it is the original house. The address has changed from 92 to 230 due to the growth and redirection of the city streets. Oh, wow. All right. End quote. Um, they've also provided a fuck ton of upgrades despite keeping the integrity of the house um they seem to have some kind of a promo deal with ghost bed mattresses um i don't know what the deal is they've got like a link to their thing that's like oh if you like the mattress that you stayed on when you were sleeping in the room that abby borden was murdered in you can buy it and we get some money hilarious i'm just like all right yeah you go you gotta make your money somehow baby um and and very interesting that like of all of all the mattress brands that are doing this sponsorship it's ghost beds well duh um, yeah and so i i'm personally not a fan of ghost beds um but that's mostly i've never even heard of them i'm sure they're in every murder oh, i've heard of them the because their pr person is in my fucking inbox every other day um, all right well now i'm gonna get targeted ads thanks a lot ghost bed um they'll love it maybe they'll make some money and they'll stop hitting me up um the, the every day every day seems like i'm getting linkedin requests and twitter dms and emails and this isn't a brag when i tell you All that right, like, we this get is, it you're popular i was gonna say this isn't me being like i'm so popular it's like i'm at my wits end <laughs> i'm about to take an axe give a mattress 40 wax um but so yeah so they've got 18 thread count, 1800 excuse me thread counts sheets um bamboo pillows um nice nice bedding automated check-in so you can just 
like they've 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 done some technological updates um all of the all of the lights all of the light bulbs the switches are compatible with philips hue bulbs um (laughs) they have nest thermostats google nest i was gonna say this place is like a like a like an alexa house it's it has all of the things that lizzie borden would have maybe did kill for um they have blackout curtain or blinds excuse me Um, but here's the real question do they have indoor plumbing? They do have indoor plumbing. Not Hell only yeah, do they have indoor plumbing, now. but they they will bend over backwards for you from the vibe I'm getting. They said on their website, quote, whether you're looking to impress that special someone with rose petals, a stuffed animal, or our favorites, a hatchet and a haunted doll, we can help Stop. make your stay extra special, end quote. <laughs> Is that not the wildest that's so it's in such poor taste but also oh i'm here for it wow i'm here for it well they know what the people are there for yeah like wow like to be completely like frank they like thousands of people have been coming to this house since these people were murdered and it's been over 125 years yep so all the more power to you like it, it's making your money you're making your money it's about Damn. history it is a historical case it it, it's again like i said it was like one of the first like in in modern american history because technically they qualify the industrial revolution as like the beginning of the modern age and blah, 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 blah. um okay tell, i was gonna say tell tell me you're a nerd <laughs> without telling me you're a nerd um it's just it's a huge it's a landmark case it's it's a big fucking deal it was like i said before it was the oj simpson it was the casey anthony of that decade of that century even yeah Um, and i would say like obviously like we don't even know if she's a killer singular but um when you're talking about like female killers female serial killers lizzie borden is women in crime is gonna be yeah, women in crime is definitely going to be um, brought up. Somebody you talk about brought up when we were coming up with our cases. Lizzie Borden was the first one I thought of. I was like, "All right, so we obviously have to do this." Like, it, it's just, it is what it is, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's before all I've got. we, yeah, before we leave, uh, I just want to do a um, a live correction section. Oh no, what did I do? The beginning of the episode. No. Um, I uh, found out what Elon Musk and Grimes' new baby is named. Oh, yeah. I know what the baby's named. They call her it's Y. It's not Y. They call her Y. No, well, her name is actually yes. E-X-A Dark Side Rail. I think it's R- pronounced Ash, I- the A-E thingy. E-A-L. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yes, they. that's her full name, but they said that they call their children X and Y in another interview that I read with um grimes got it yes. okay i thought the baby's name was actually the letter no y. no that okay. would have been mercy yeah i mean that would have been a little bit better than um, actually the name, that but. they they anyway, i don't know that has nothing to do know. with the episode that has nothing but. to do with the episode but i appreciate you being like hey like we gotta we gotta dial this back we don't want another vera tesa situation yeah um anyway there very well might be who knows um yeah, why not but that is us that is lizzie borden is whether or not you think lizzie's guilty let us know let us know um obviously there's more information out there but we're an hour and 45 ish minutes in so like oh yeah you could have there could be a whole podcast on her there there could be on the case yeah yeah i mean i just i i did my best um 
But yeah, right. let us know though what you think. Yeah. You can let us know on any of our social medias. Yes. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can just slide into our inbox, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Not you, Ghostbed. Not you, Ghostbed. Not enough of you. And then uh, you can also join our Patreon. Yes. And so speaking of go Patreon. Ahead and do that. Speaking yeah? of Patreon, um, certain members will notice that we did a surprise poll not because I have Catholic guilt. Um, yeah, we originally weren't going to do a poll. We for were this not going to do a but... poll, but then I felt bad, <laughs> and, and you so, wanted to change an episode. And so yes, so go to if you if you have poll privileges, um, head over to our Patreon, and you can decide what our final episode of Women's History Month will be. It's a twofer. You get to choose between two. Mm. Ladies, I, I I don't remember what exactly I referred to them as, but it was really good. It was like mini series mavens or something because Ooh. spoiler alert, like they're both subjects of of mini series. I don't want to give too much away, um, but yeah, give them give us a give us a vote, give us a listen, give us a hey, how are you soon so that Caitlin can get the episode ready in time. Yeah, I say with not an ounce of panic in my voice, um. But yeah, just if you're, if you are, if you, you know who you are, um, and yeah, that's, that's it. That's all, that's all she wrote. That's all we all right, wrote. Then. So that's it. I, I'm never good at ending these things. I usually leave that to Haley because I just, I just ramble. Well, and, this is how we end it. Yeah. <laughs> See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Ooh, that was so insane. Look at us. That was great.